I invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. We uh, have taken a little bit of a break from our study in Philippians. Uh, Advent came along and we uh, did an Advent series and then after that we were in some other uh, places and now we're finally returning to, to bring our uh, study through the book of Philippians to a close probably over the next uh, few Sundays, probably three maybe four, but most likely three messages left from the book of Philippians. And so just a refresher, the book of Philippians, the overarching theme has been uh, the joy of knowing Christ, that knowing Christ is the sort of the central theme that's woven throughout the whole letter. And then we come in chapter four to these, uh, some instructions that Paul gives, sort of, sort of concluding instructions, some exhortations, uh, and some concluding thoughts and things like that. And so we had looked last time at Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, which was kind of focused on anxiety and uh, what to do in, in responding to anxiety about, about bringing our uh, petitions and our requests with thanksgiving to God in prayer and how his peace would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And now, we go from there to look at Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, and that'll be the, uh, the focus this morning. I do want to say before we read um, that I'm, I am going to, and I'll talk about this later at the end of the message, but uh, a challenge to you before we conclude the series on Philippians to, uh, to commit a, a, a passage from Philippians to memory. Um, and it can, can be any passage you choose, uh, but I, it, just before we, we uh, leave the, the book of Philippians, it would be, I would issue a challenge to everybody in the church uh, to commit at least one passage from the letter of Philippians to memory. And like I said, I'll say a little bit more about that later on. Uh, but before we read, let's uh, ask for the Spirit's anointing on His Word this morning. Let's bow together. Lord God, as we open up your word, I, pr I pray for your Holy Spirit to come into this place, come into our hearts, and be the empowering presence in me, O oh Lord, through which your word is faithfully and fruitfully proclaimed. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us minds to understand, and give us hearts to receive the sacred and holy and all authoritative truths of your word. Lord, come to us now and do your work in us, the work that you alone know we need, and may it bear fruit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning, Philippians chapter 4. Verses 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let me pause there real quickly because I'm not going to address this in the message, but that word think is a little bit strange because Paul has been uh, talking about thinking throughout the letter of Philippians, but he's always used the word phreneo, uh, which is kind of the classic, more, more typical, basic word for think. Here he uses a different word, the word logizomai, from which we get the English logic and logarithm, and it has the, this uh, connotation of just a, a deeper, more penetrating, more contemplative kind of thinking. So to, to think deeply, contemplate, ponder, 
these things. Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. So what do we think about? What is our thought life like? A, uh, using a uh, MRI brain scans, a group of psychologists from Queen's University in Ontario uh, did a study to determine uh, how many thoughts a human has in a day. And so their study determined that the average human has 6,200 thoughts per day, which is just over four thoughts per minute. And that, that number is actually a little bit lower than some previous studies, which had come to numbers more along the lines of 12 to, to 50,000 thoughts Per day. But if we take that number 6,200, which is at the low end, just over four new thoughts per minute. Of course, other studies have been done that show that men and women tend to think differently, which is really no surprise, of course, because God made men and women fundamentally and, and beautifully different to complement each other. And so, for example, uh, just to throw some things out there, in general, men, and again, these are generalizations, there are always exceptions, but in general, men tend to be better at math and logic and grasping spatial concepts. And in general, women tend to have better memories and verbal skills and, and multitasking capabilities. And so, wives, if you ever get upset at your husband that he's not doing enough, it's not his fault. It's the way he's wired. He can only do one thing at a time. Uh, one of the differences, uh, from a physiological standpoint, one of the differences between men and women is that the two hemispheres, for women, the two hemispheres of the brain are more interconnected than they are for men. And so this means that the, the thought life of women tends to be a little bit more complex than that of men. And again, we, we, that, that should come as no surprise that that seems to ring true with experience, that men just tend to be a little more straightforward, a little more simple. In visual terms, uh, it might look something like this. Uh, if you can't tell very well, the, the picture at the top is an a, a very simple and straightforward electrical device that's just you know, pretty, pretty basic. The one at the bottom is not so simple. It's much more complex. It's interconnected. It has all these, these interwoven uh, circuits and things going on. And that is how some have depicted the difference in thought life between men and women. But of course, regardless of differences in gender, the, the point is that the human mind is an incredibly important and amazing Thing. What we think about has major implications for how we live. And in fact, Alistair Begg goes so far as to say that we, that we are what we think about. It is in our minds that our affections are stirred. It is by our minds that our, our wills are directed. And it is from our minds that actions flow. If we want to be the people that God calls us to be and to live the, the kind of lives that he wants us to live, it, it begins with our thinking. And so that's what the Apostle Paul addresses in our text this morning, this matter of, of the mind. And in, the, in these two short verses, he says three things about our thinking. 
He says first that our thinking is to be dominated by what is good. And he lays out a list of, of virtues that ought to occupy our minds. And this is, this is not an exhaustive list. It is merely a representative list of, of a broader spectrum of things that are good. Now, there, I, I should say this as well. I don't want to say too much about it because I think scholars have gone on rabbit trails on this particular point and it's all unnecessary. But... Um, some have made a big deal of the fact that this list is not all that Paul-like. Uh, it, it doesn't sound or look like his other lists because there are a few words that, uh, that Paul never uses anywhere else. There's a couple of words that are not used anywhere else in the entire New Testament, and so some say that this list looks a little bit more like what you would find among the Greco-Roman moralists than what you would find in the other letters of Paul. And some have drawn quite fancy conclusions from that observation, uh, all of which I think are bogus, um, is simply the fact that these are distinctively Christian things, and it just, they so happen to overlap in some ways with what some of the people of the world value as well. So uh, it's a representative list of a broader spectrum of things that are good. So Paul says in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. And then at this point, it's almost as if Paul realizes, you know, this list could get exceedingly long. And, and so I'm just going to cut the list short and jump to this, this catch-all phrase. If, if there's anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What we think about shapes our attitudes and our relationships and our behaviors. If you fill your mind with garbage, then guess what? What's going to come out in your life will be garbage. And so it begs the question this morning, what occupies your mind? What is your thought life really like? If you could take all the things you think about in a given day, all those 6,200 thoughts or 20,000 or 50,000 thoughts, however many they may be, if you take all the things that you think about in a, day, in a day and divide it up into categories and put those categories into a nice little pie chart, what would that pie chart look like? How much of that pie chart would, would fall under the category of what is good? How much of it would go to worry or to material things? or to entertainment, or to lust, or on and on the list could go. And so to, to help us measure what is a good kind of thinking, Paul gives us this list of six things. And I'm going to run through them with you fairly quickly. I don't want to spend too much time on each of them, but I, I do want to elaborate just a little bit on each one. So he says, first, we are to think about what is true. There are so many deceptions and so many lies in the world that you don't have to look far to fill your minds with things that are not true, with things that are false. And even in, in this, uh, this the last uh, couple of years, year and a half or so, it, it, with all the issues that we're facing as a culture, whether it's uh, with COVID and other things, just to be able to, to try to discern well, what is true and what is not true, what is fact and what is fiction, what, how do we navigate that, how do we discern what is true. And the thing that I keep coming back to again and again and again is that there's all kinds of stuff that I, I don't think we'll ever know what is exactly true and what's not true for so many of these issues. But one thing we do know is true, and that is the Word of God. And so we keep coming back to the Word of God and Christ, because Christ is himself the very embodiment of truth. And so truth begins in him. He is, in his own words, the way and the truth 
and the life. And so to think about what is true means to occupy our minds, or at least begins with occupying our minds with the things of Christ, with his person, with his work, with his word, with his gospel, with his kingdom, with his teaching, with his values. Think about what is true. Second, Paul says we're to think about what is noble. And the word noble indicates things that are honorable or majestic or awe-inspiring. It is the, the very opposite of that which is frivolous or trivial or mundane. Things like scrolling mindlessly through the apps on your phone or the, the memes and the taglines on social media or whiling away the hours with soap operas or video games. To think about what is noble is to fix your minds on higher things. Third, Paul says we are to think about what is right. And what is right comes from the Greek word dikaios, which also means uh, righteous. And it, so what is right is always defined by God and his character and his word. So Paul is urging us then to, to train ourselves in knowing how to discern right from wrong, how to discern those things that are righteous, that are in line with God and his truth and his word, and those things that are not. If we know what is right according to God and his word, and if we have, uh, have this firmly fixed in our minds, then when the time of testing comes and a time of testing will come, then when that time comes, our natural impulse will be to choose the right path. I think that's what happened with Joseph, who had trained himself in the way of what was right in the eyes of God. And so when the day of testing came in the form of Potiphar's wife and her seductive charms, what did he do? It was his impulse. He just, he ran away. And he said, how, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? He knew what was right, and it was so ingrained in him that it was his impulse to respond with right action. Number four, Paul says we're to think about what is pure. And what is pure has to do with things that are not tainted or mixed with evil. Just like a pure metal is free from alloy, so purity in the biblical sense is that which is free from moral corruption and evil. And of course, this is a huge area of concern in our world today because we live in a media-saturated world that is just grossly entrenched in things that are impure. You cannot pick up a newspaper or turn on the TV or even listen to the radio anymore without being bombarded in some way by some form of impurity. As followers of Christ in this warped and crooked world, we are to think about what is pure. Number five, Paul says we're to think about what is lovely. And the word lovely has its roots in the Greek word philia, which uh, refers to, to friendship or to brotherly love. And so in our relationships with one another, it is so easy to feed our minds with those things that breed animosity and friction and tension and hostility. We can focus on the negatives in others. We can allow our minds to be inflamed by jealousy or, or bitterness or, or envy. And so to think about what is lovely is to do just the opposite of that, to concentrate on those things that promote brotherly love within our relationships with one another. And finally, Paul says we are to think about what is admirable. And admirable things are those things that are commendable or things that are worthy of praise and worthy of approval. So these are the good things, as Paul says, that ought to occupy our minds. And like I said, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's representative of a, of a broad range of things that are, are good, or as Paul says in his catch-all expression, things that are excellent or praiseworthy. And so let me put the question before you again. What is your thought life like? 
How much of your thinking is devoted to these things? In a world that is full of things that are are sordid and and shabby and smutty and trivial, it is all the more imperative to fill our minds with these things that are good. As Paul said to the Corinthians, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. In other words, there are things in the world that are opposed to to God and his truth. And he says, we fight that, but we do what he says in a way that the world doesn't. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Or as Paul said to the Romans, do not conform to the pattern of this world. The, The world is going to exert its pressure on you to conform to its ways and its values and its patterns of thinking, but do not conform to its, its actions and its, and its ideologies, but be transformed, he says. And that, that's a, a, a matter of action. Be, be transformed, be changed. And how do we do that? By the renewing of your mind. Our thinking is to be dominated by what is good. The second thing that Paul shows us in these verses is that our thinking is to spill over into doing. So Paul goes from calling us to right thinking in verse 8 to right practice in verse 9. He knows that there's an intimate connection between, between those two things, that right doing flows from right thinking, and that right thinking must manifest itself in right doing. I read uh, somewhere about a, a roadway in northern Canada, and I can't remember when or where I read about this, but there, I, I remember reading something about a roadway, uh, I think this this minimum maintenance road in northern Canada, and at the beginning of that roadway, uh, there was a sign that said, uh, choose your rut carefully because you will be in it the next 25 miles. Something you would find in Canada. Choose your rut carefully, you'll be in it the next 25 miles. Well, That's the way it is, I think, with our thinking and doing. Our our patterns of thinking create the grooves or the ruts that determine the actions that follow. As we think, so we do. So choose your rut carefully. Choose carefully what you groove into your mind because it will set the course of your action. And so Paul naturally then makes this connection between thinking and doing in verse 9. He says that our thinking is to overflow into action. He says it this way, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. In Greek, it's a little more simply, it just says, do it. So whatever you've seen or received or heard from me or seen in me, do it. Jesus, of course, said something similar in John 13 after washing his disciples' feet, after showing them this is what humble service and self-giving love looks like. This is, this is what, what that quality looks like in real life. After showing that to them, he said to them, now that you know these things, and there's the matter of the mind, you've seen it, so I know that you know how to think about these things. Now that you know these things with your mind, you will be blessed, he says, if you do them. And that's the matter of action. Let your thinking translate into doing. Put, it, put the right thinking into practice. And so right thinking is really the foundation of right conduct. It's like cre- uh, creating the ruts in the road that will guide our action. But at the same time, right thinking doesn't in itself produce the right action. That's an incredibly important point. That means we still have to do the actual work of putting it into practice. It doesn't just If we think the right things, it doesn't automatically mean that we will do the right things. This is why James says, don't just listen to the word, do what it says. 
And of course, Jesus made the same point when he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. But he said, everyone who hears my words and does put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains came and the streams rose and the winds blew, but the house stood and it stayed standing against the storms. And now Paul calls us to the same thing. Take what you've heard from me and seen in me. you've, You've seen these things. You've seen how I've suffered for the sake of Christ. You've seen my testimony of the gospel. You've seen how I, how I long to know more and more of him. Think about these things. And then let your thinking spill over into doing and put them into practice. You see, the Bible doesn't call the church to be a collection of brains, and some of us in the Reformed tradition need to hear that more than others, I think. The Bible doesn't call the church to be a collection of brains, to be a people who are all thinking and no doing. As one preacher put it, so many churches have become like dusty old libraries. They're full of people who have all the right knowledge and all the right doctrine and all the right theology and all of the right information, and they can express it rather eloquently, and they can write treatises about it, but they don't do anything about it. They're like volumes of truth, but they're just stuck on a shelf, and they never live it out, And they never put their right thinking into practice. And so this preacher says, the Christian is not called to sit on a high hill and to think blessed thoughts in abstraction from the warp and the woof of everyday existence. Our thinking is to spill over into doing. The last thing that we see in these verses is that our thinking is connected to peace. Paul says at the end of verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, you may remember uh, from the previous verses that Paul has, like I mentioned, has been addressing the issue of anxiety. And so he said in verses 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God Here's his promise. If you do these things, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And now, in verse 9, Paul kind of puts a frame on that, and he comes back to this promise of peace, but he connects it this time not to prayer, but to our thinking. And so he says, whatever is all these things, true and noble, whatever is good, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And here's the promise, connected to that thinking, and the God of peace will be with you. So the peace of God and the God of peace. So just as thankful prayer is an antidote to anxiety, so too is praiseworthy thinking. The mind that is full of the things that Paul lists in verse 8 will have little room for anxiety and worry. And we will know greater peace when we fasten our minds on those things which the God of peace himself approves. So our thinking is connected to peace, which, by the way, is not at all the same as the power of positive thinking. That's not what Paul is getting at here at all. You know, just think positive thoughts and life will go better for you. Think positive thoughts, you'll get wealthy. Think positive thoughts, you'll be healed. Not what Paul is saying at all. He's saying that if our minds are 
are occupied with the things of Christ and the truths of God's word and all those, the, those things that are good, that are connected to God and his character, then he says the God of peace, the person, the, the, the being, God, the God of peace himself will be with us. So let me just take a, a few brief moments as we head into communion this morning to kind of take this stuff and, and bring it into a, a, just a, a few very concrete takeaways. In the end, these verses call us to watch closely the activity of our minds. So I want to leave you this morning with three specific and concrete applications in relation to the activity of our minds. Number one, we need a robust discipline of refusal. That means we have to be diligent about not only keeping out the bad, which is a, a hard thing to do in a culture that just bombards us you know, with, from so many different angles with things that are bad. So we have to be diligent not only about keeping out the bad, but also minimizing the trivial. Right? So think of, think of the mind like a container with limited space. We want to keep all that is corrupt and, and vile and ungodly and, and evil, all those things out, but we also don't want to just fill that space with, with things that are merely base and, and trivial and mundane. So what this means, for example, is that the music we listen to matters. The stuff we watch on TV matters. The books we read matter. What we do with our phone matters. If there's limited space in the brain, what are you filling it with? Our world is saturated with sub-Christian content, and we need to guard carefully what we allow into our minds. We need to heed the words of the psalmist who said, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Number two, we need to fill our minds with the Word of God. We need to be a Psalm 1 kind of people who delight in the Word and meditate on it day and night. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. You read it. The more time you spend reading Scripture, the better. Uh, there's a, when Lori and I were just talking yesterday about an, an app that you can get and put it on your phone or put it on your computer. And it's an app that all it does is it reads Scripture. It's just, it's a, you can find a pleasant voice, male or female, whatever you want. You can get a Brit British accent. Uh, you can get a Minnesota accent if you want, probably. I don't know. I wouldn't recommend listening to that one, but... You can get a voice that all it does is it reads scripture. And so you can, wherever you go, if you're sitting down for breakfast, if you're driving in the car, if you're uh, working out, you can have scripture and nothing but scripture filling your mind. It's important, however, not only to read or to, to listen to scripture, but also to memorize it, which is coming back to what I mentioned at the beginning now, uh, my challenge to you. We, we, we cannot be profoundly influenced by that which we do not know. Right? We, we cannot be profoundly influenced by that which we do not know. The more Scripture we memorize, the more our minds are occupied and filled with the good that Paul describes and, and the less room there is for the bad. And not only that, but we are well armed and equipped to conquer the schemes and the lies and the temptations of the enemy. Think about this. It was with the memorized word that Jesus resisted the temptations of the devil in the desert. Every time, the three times the devil came to him, three times he fought him with the memorized word of God. And it was with the word, it's with the word that, as Paul says, we do battle against the devil and his schemes. Or as the psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word. And in Hebrew, the, the, the heart is the, basically equivalent to the mind. I have hidden your word in my mind that I might not sin 
against you. We need to fill our minds with the Word of God. Charles Spurgeon said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Visit many good books, but live in the Bible. And so my challenge to you, like I mentioned this week, is to pick one passage from the book of Philippians and commit it to memory. If you want a suggestion, I'll give you one because one of the classic places to go, one of the best places to go would be the Christ hymn, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. If you're going to memorize anything, that would be uh, one of the best things to memorize in all of Scripture. Number three, we need to ponder the beauties of Christ. Uh, Christ himself is the perfect embodiment of all that is good. He is the ultimate manifestation of that which is true and, and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And so if we want to have the kind of thought life that Paul describes, the kind of thought life that is for our good and for God's glory, then the best thing that we can do is to fix our minds on Christ, to come to him in worship and get to know him more fully in Scripture. Talk to him in prayer. Behold his glory in music and remember him in communion. The more we ponder the beauties of Christ, the more truly we'll be able to say with Paul that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. May the beauty and the sufficiency of Christ so captivate us that our thoughts are increasingly drawn to him and drawn away from the lesser things. So the human mind is indeed an amazing thing. Out of it comes great good and great evil. Let us fill our minds with the glories of Christ and know that the God of peace is with us. Let's bow together. Lord, as we prepare our hearts and minds to come forward for communion this morning. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would draw us to you. I pray that you'd reveal yourself to us, that we, O oh Lord, as we come and as we take, take the bread and take the juice, that we may ponder and behold the glories of Christ and his body given for us, and his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And may these wonderful and glorious truths, O oh Lord, so captivate our hearts and our minds that we can do nothing but fall to our knees and respond with deep gratitude and praise. Oh, Lord, hear our silent prayers as we prepare our hearts and minds this morning.
Oh Lord, fill us with your spirit as we come this morning to the table of grace. Reveal to us the, the deep beauties and the mysteries of Christ our Lord. And may our minds be fixed on, on him and fixed on what you have done for us in and through him. And as our minds, O oh Lord, are filled with such goodness, may it spill over into right doing. And may we find, O oh Lord, the glorious assurance and comfort that the God of peace is with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.